Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Back. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh boy. Yeah, I know. It's been a week. I've been sitting here moping and bitching since I walked in the door. Yes. I apologize for that. But Don't I care think for I've it. gotten it out of my system. Really? No, no, I haven't. Okay. But I think I've become good enough at slipping into podcast mode. Yeah. That I can worry about my troubles after we uh after we say our goodbyes. Do you find that Because uh, you you mentioned like you have a podcast mode, I think I do. I think probably anybody who has a podcast kind of goes into a certain kind of character. It's mm-hmm. probably not very different than their own, but uh, do you find yourself like pepping up the moment you we start recording and just sort of layering something on and I guess I'm yeah, I'm like putting on my character's costume or whatever. Does it make you feel disingenuous? Like don't you just want to share with the listener how crappy your week has been? No. No? All right. I Listen, I love the listeners, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm very selective about who gets to know who I am. Mm-hmm. So the I'm almost of, there. It's very exciting. <laughs> the version of me that I put out, be it on podcasts or on Twitter, I guess those are the main two things. Yeah. Google Plus. I'm on Google Plus. Are you? Yeah. How is it? Better than Facebook. Really? Okay. I don't know. I don't use Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the versions of myself that I put out are uh, not me. Okay. They are versions of me. I have those people within me. This is starting to sound pretentious. But, um, yeah, it's not really the whole me. Yeah, because uh, anybody who listens to my other podcast, More Than One Lesson, <laughs> it must be a little strange because on here... I am a bit heightened. Over there, I'm not. Uh-huh. And I'm sure they're just like, oh my god. Like, they go and listen to more than one lesson. Like, is Tyler about to kill himself? Uh-huh. Yes, I am. <laughs> but I, you know, but I liked, I hide it pretty well on, on here. But, uh, yeah. My co-host, a mild podcast, accuses me of being an open book. Really? But the thing is, it's, because when I say I hide certain things of myself, it's not like I'm, uh quiet and mm-hmm. introverted necessarily i'm mm-hmm. still you're out there i'm still out there i'm just not revealing all the parts mm-hmm. of my psyche to everyone i mean no one no one in the world is revealing who is sane is revealing all of their psyche to the world there are things that you don't tell anyone every person has things that they don't tell mm. anyone i'm try- i'm i'm plumbing the depths i'm trying to think if there's anything no, it's all out there. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> Couldn't be less true. Uh, well, all let's right. um, let's get a let's get a third opinion here. Absolutely. On uh, whether or not uh, you guys, listeners, don't worry. It's not some comedian who's going to muck up the show by being hilarious and awesome and entertaining and taking away from our uh, you know smug drivel. It's we're just Someone's adding another sm- level of smug drivel. Oh, very much so. In fact, maybe like a double scoop. Yeah. So oh. two um, scoops. Uh, I know a, a, a couple of listeners about to be very excited about this name. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about Sakari and Je- and Rita and Rita. I was going to say Rose and and, uh, and Jesse. There's a guy named Jesse who's a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, he uh, shoots us a nice amount of money every time this guy's on. Awesome. So, Sakari, Rita, I'm sorry, I thought your name was Rose for a second. Jesse, lean a little closer 
to your iPod. Or As our guest leans Zoom. a little closer to his mic. Because yeah, please lean a little closer to the mic. Um, you know him, of course, from the wildly successful Experts in Intermediates podcast. What? Huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, you know him from his work as uh, possibly an insurance investigator or claims adjuster. I don't actually know what his day job is. <laughs> I've known him for, uh, I don't know, six or seven years. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's friend of the show, Jason Eakin. Hello. <laughs> <sighs> he leaned away from the mic and then did a voice <laughs> like you were leaning away from the mic. <laughs> like you said, double scoop. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, how's it going, Jason? It's going pretty good. How long was that? I was wanting to go, like, uh, was that more than seven minutes? No, it was just under five. Oh, Ooh, that's uh. a disappointment. <laughs> I was hoping that I was going to, like, really just not even be here. Well, I this. didn't want to... I brought reading material, I, I, so. I couldn't introduce you until you were done with your introduction from our last live show. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, those who uh, have listened to the podcast, and by the way, I think I owe one or I think I owe two uh, live show recordings to the podcast. Well, we have yeah. one of them. The other one was not actually in our possession. Right oh, now. Uh, Frank, feel my wrath, McGrath still yeah. has it. Yeah, we'll get that from him. Um, so I should put those last two up though. But if you listen to those, you know, definitely know Jason's intros uh, that he does verbose. They are verbose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one way of putting it. That's He's, the way uh, I put it. Lugubrious. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes? Certainly. No question. So, uh, now, Jay, uh, I, I'm sure we've talked about your uh, film reservations, but I always look for the opportunity to push These it. These are the reservations that Jason has about movies. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in there. <laughs> There's got to be a better way to phrase it, I'm sure. But, uh, but yes, uh, for those that don't know, uh, Jason directed a short film called Reservations, and it, uh, he wrote and directed it. It stars uh, me. And there's a commentary track with uh, all three of us, mm-hmm. and so that's available. It doesn't star me. No, it doesn't star I mean, David. You know, but the commentary co-stars you. I'm just yeah. saying. I did some acting in high school. I didn't do community theater acting. You won something, but right? I, I won Best Actor of the Drama Club for uh, oh. one year uh, for my uh, performance in the one-act The Marriage Proposal by Anton Chekhov. This is Was getting that, sadder and sadder. It, Was that a... What did you win it for? I'm sorry. Best your, actor for something. your drama club? Yeah. Is that like a club. statewide thing? No. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Listen, I'm not comparing and contrasting. So obviously, you have more more experience than I do, Tyler. Uh, and more accolades. But also, okay, I was in your short films in college. You sure were, yes. Will you tell this guy that I can act? He can act Why am I not in reservations? I mean... Well, which role would you have played? Josh did a... Josh did a fine job. Yes. How long can you grow your hair? Oh. Oh, I'm not, uh, <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> I, See, that's I the thing. A... I don't know what David Backside would be getting on set. <laughs> As you said, no one knows who you are. You're a chameleon. Right. That's make, what makes me such a great actor. Yeah, but I'm not a, I can't go. I have a day job. I can't, sure. I can't <laughs> look like a hippie. <laughs> I have to go to work every day. I bet you don't need to dress the way you do for I your job. I don't need to. Okay. You dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So do you want the boss's job? Does he feel threatened? My boss is a she. I guess my boss is also... I have a, there are levels of bosses. I kind of got the feeling. Everything you've told me about it seems like many bosses. And I knew that but sooner or later there's going to be a guy in there. But they're great people. Okay, good. I actually I really like my job. But um, I'm just saying. But we'll get back to reservations in a second. Indeed. And, and, and we will at some point talk about another film that is coming up. 
that you're writing, right? Yeah. Well, just a script, yes. Oh, yeah. just a script you're writing. Okay, might be a film. Is there a role in that one for me? No, not at all. God damn it. <laughs> it's all these small... Ca- he writes small cast stuff. Listen, I'm a caged bird. Yeah. I'm ready to spread my wings and fly. <laughs> Is this your version of singing? No, I'm okay. making it very clear that I've got skills for days when it comes to acting. Would are you, you going to ask they, me they if they pay, can the, pay bills? the bills? Yes. Because they can't. <laughs> I have no problem paying my bills. That's absolutely true. I was his roommate, and he did pay the bills with his skills. Um, but were they acting yeah. skills? Yeah, like, Pantos like, would be... <laughs> you guys... Pantos is our landlord. Yeah, we'll Pantos would be like, hey, uh, but, here's here's a ne- monologue from Network. Why don't you uh, make <laughs> yeah, it work I, I for me? I would say to Tyler and Carl, I was like, like, why don't you guys just give me cash, and then I'll put the bill on my skills. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, conversion rate is of dollars to skills. <laughs> but uh, we should explain. I'm sure we have at some point, but any new mm. listener uh, who isn't. People tune into the show, I think, probably for movie talk and not for the history of Tyler and David. But That is unfortunate. Who, those who might uh, be interested, we had an awesome landlord. Mm-hmm. He was a super nice guy, but um, also kind of like the dude's landlord in Big Lebowski and that he was kind of like... I was like, oh, I'll give it. I'll get it to you by by the fifteenth. Yeah. Like that he kind gave of thing. us our security yeah. deposit back way before we moved out. Yeah, and it's we like, were still. You know, we can still leave this place a total yeah, mess, I could right? Set the floor on fire. <laughs> um, and his name. I don't want to give his whole name, but we practically did. Yeah. His first name started with a P, and his last name was Antos, and so his email address was Pantos at whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm not going to say that either. Uh, but yeah, super nice guy. But and I don't know if he ever knew that um, around the apartment we called him Pantos. I have to assume he didn't. Uh. And he was a very nice guy who just did not have any concept of how to pet a cat. <laughs> and it was I was terrified for our cat's life. Yeah. So uh, and also, this is going to be mean, but it's a funny story to me. But I can't remember if it was you or Cole who had an entire conversation with him while his gums were bleeding. <laughs> oh, I think God. that was cool. And he kept I feel like I like, would have remembered. Like he was trying to talk, but kept having to like, like Ugh. keep his gums. Like he answered the door with his gum. Like I don't know if he had just been flossing or what. <laughs> also, another thing we had a going uh, moving out party mm-hmm. slash. It was it ended up being a huge party. Yes, because we were three of us were moving out. Plus, my girlfriend at the time and her friend had both just graduated college, so it ended up being like both things for five different people mm. mm-hmm. so it was a huge party and i remember telling like peter but damn it i said i wasn't gonna say his name damn it. uh pantos beforehand like uh like uh hey we're gonna have a party tonight he was like oh cool that's no problem and i was like no I mean, if you want to stop by and have a drink you totally should and um <laughs> so this would have been 2004 mm-hmm. so he uh um came to the door at like twelve thirty or one o'clock in the morning. Okay. And he had no. This was two thousand five. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because that's where. Yeah. Two thousand five, right. because we had graduated a year before. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, what, it just makes sense why it's important in a second. Um, came to the door. It was a huge party. People were like dancing. There's a lot of music mm-hmm. and, and drinking and stuff. And he has a bootleg burned DVD of Star Wars. Episode three, whatever the fuck that one was called, and he's like, "You guys want to watch a movie?" <laughs> Such a nice guy. We like, have, I feel like I'm making fun of him. Yeah, but I'm we've, not. We've like, not made him he's sound a very good. endearing. He's and, very and accommodating nice guy. And when yeah, when I was broke, he let me 
not pay rent that's right for two months and instead paint like the entire both hallways and the basement of the apartment building you do have painting skills and he put them to work in order to pay the bills <laughs> that's right nice my skills paid the bills there <laughs> so, so yeah like, he's a great guy how did you respond to a wild raucous party were you in there your apartment? uh i was there okay. and um I think Cole I, I ended knew, up putting in earplugs and going to sleep. Uh, Cole tried to put in ear. Uh, well, he put he succeeded in putting in the earplugs, but he did not <laughs> succeed in going to sleep. And so he uh, got a little frustrated, got on, hopped on his bike, and went to a friend's house and slept there. I knew a lot of people at the party, so I like hung out with them. But after a while, I was like, I'm actually kind of sleepy. This is back when I would go to bed at about three a.m. and the party was raging on at three a.m. Now I go to bed about I went to bed at six thirty uh, in the morning uh, last night whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And um, so I'm like, okay, it's about 2.30. I think I can, I'm going to go to bed. So I went I went into my bedroom and actually uh, shut the door, muffled it quite well, and it, it, it was fine. Um, constant noise actually doesn't bother me. It's intermittent noise right. that, that is upsetting. Uh, so I was laying there, and uh, sure enough, in, in bursts uh, a, an amorous couple. And I'm like, hey, uh... I'm sorry. I'm sleeping in here. This place, uh, you're not supposed to come in here. Yeah, that room was off limits. Yeah. But, but that, uh, that party, by the way, I know we got to get to the topic at mm-hmm. some point. I'm not like... You're not, a, a, you're not a party animal. Yeah, I'm not like a raucous party guy. That party, like, there was a lot of debauchery that happened at that party. Yeah, d- I don't know if it was the couple that burst into my room, but I believe somebody wound up uh, enjoying themselves on the ba- in the back stairway the back stairwell definitely yeah. saw some action yeah it was uh definitely some uh i remember two people that i knew got into an argument and said let's go um i'll duke front. it out no not not to fight it was two girls got into an argument and they were Ooh. like let's go outside and argue. so they're yelling at each other the sidewalk <laughs> and they're yelling woke up the guy who had pe- puked and then passed out in our front bushes <laughs> hey I want to keep it down. Yeah. You're not supposed to be in over here. This is off limits. <laughs> yeah, I'm sleeping in here. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that's, that's an anomaly. Like, I'm not, a guy, very I'm not the kind party. of guy who throws that kind of party, but it was, it was a fun time. I think we had to mop the floors a number of times. That sounds because they were very horrible. St- they were sticky for days. Yeah, people kept spilling things. It was yeah. upsetting. Yeah. I believe you did the mopping because not my party. <laughs> right. All right. Okay. Um, Reservations. So, oh uh, right, that's what we're going back to. Yeah, yeah just briefly because started. it's available at the Battleship Pretension Store for only five dollars. It's very good. I was very happy to be a part of it, and I highly recommend people uh, buy it. Um, now, what do you now? What's uh, I don't want to sound accusatory here. Yeah, what are you doing with reservations now? <laughs> like, uh, uh, or, have you have you submitted it to festivals? Yeah, I've submitted it to a few festivals. the The main thing I'm doing with it is trying to sell it on this uh, website, battleshipretention.com. That's basically what's being done with it. Nothing else. I think you might have more luck with the festivals. <laughs> that's that's true. And uh, I don't because most festivals it turns out, don't want to take up 30 minutes of their short film program with just one movie. Oh, so your movie is too long for the shorts program. Yeah. Oh. Even though anything the under an short. hour is considered a short. Yeah. I know, and they make... Th- there's a couple festivals, and I think this is smarter, that have like an intermediate category. Hmm. Um, that's, that's like, you know, 30 to 50 minutes or something like that, but that's few and far See, between. It seems to me what you do is you... If like... Like reservations is a comedy. If you get three twenty to thirty minute comedy reservation, like comedy reservations, comedy short films, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, 
that are of this longer. You put it there. You know, it's like feature length. You've got three. Yeah, you've got a program right there. Yeah, except, uh, or you could put like fifteen short films from ranging from like four minutes to twelve minutes to uh-huh. six minutes, and then you have all those people coming and bringing all sorts right. of other people with them yeah. to buy tickets to the film festival. The whole thing's and a scam, huh? It does yeah. seem kind of a kind of a shame that like this movie's really good. Too long. Get it out of here. I don't yeah. know. It, it it happens. I mean, that's well, yeah, why you can't, you, you can't. We'll get into the topic, but I wanted to say you can't trust. I mean, I again, Anybody. I love our listeners. You can't trust our listeners to support you because here's what's going on right now on the website, on the blog. Glad you made the transition. Battleshipretention.com. A blog. It's it's full. It's essentially movie reviews and occasionally some other thoughts and blogs, but mm-hmm. essentially reviews of both theatrical movies and some uh, straight to DVD stuff, which I like. I like that we have picked. We've assembled a group of writers without me ever saying, like, hey, here's a mission statement. But every movie we review, be it a Terrence Malick movie, a Manuel de Oliveira movie, or a uh, The Change Up, mm-hmm. or a direct-to-Blu-ray, you know, uh, cheapy, mm-hmm. all movies are reviewed, like, taken seriously at the same yeah, you know they're given the same chance. Given the yeah. same chance, yeah. And, and I, I like that. I like our writers. I like that they've uh, they've done this without me telling them to, because that's what I would have. <laughs> uh, and each one of them has a point of view. Each one of them has a, yeah. uh, a clear voice. And so uh, everyone go and go and read. And, and if you, you know like- what, I, you know, I'm checking the numbers every day. People are reading oh, the that's website. Ex- that's exciting. You know what they're not doing? What's that? Commenting. Commenting. I why. I want, want you guys to have opinions. I want I want our reviews, whether they're by me or Tyler or uh, Daniel or Kyle or Scott or Jack or Matt or even Josh or like maybe once Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, I want them to start conversations on on the site. Use that to uh, use that as a jumping off point. Yeah, but what if they say like negative things? So what? Uh, well, I right. mean, obviously, don't say mean things like. Whoever wrote this sounds fat. <laughs> like, if you disagree with the... I did get that from my Soul Surfer review. <laughs> Clearly, the guy who wrote this has never been surfing, nor been out of his house. He's probably big and fat. Um, now, uh, I have an opinion but on yeah, this. But if you have a disagreement of, with the review, go ahead. Yeah. You guys, because I, I hear your, your weekly show wrap-up, you got to ask for comments more. This is the first time I've ever heard you ask for comments. You got It's got to be a... It's got to be... Part of part of the, the yeah, work it into like, the work yeah. it into the thing. I yeah, think. it's got to be Best part of the just bit. Record a drop in that says, "Hey, everybody, yeah. don't forget to review us on iTunes, write comments on the website, and there's a donate button on the uh, oh, on the yeah. website." Although, and this is fun that they're getting a little peek behind the curtain that's trying to sway them to do something you want them to do. Mm-hmm. But maybe go with the uh, you know maybe just encourage them. Maybe your voice, your real voice, your true voice, the true David. I'm I saying. don't even know who it is anymore. Um, <laughs> Maybe that person asking for it on a weekly basis may may stimulate something that a drop-in does not. Hmm. I think you got to ask for it. Listeners. Yeah, weekly. Res- tell you what, li- listeners, comment to David and Tyler on whether them asking you to comment will get you to comment more, <laughs> or them just doing a drop-in for you to comment yeah. will get you to comment and more. There are also, obviously, each episode... Like podcast episode is an entry on the blog. Yes, it so is. Um, you can comment on this episode. You can discuss whatever came up in the episode in the comments on on the blog. I, I think it would be a lot of fun. And of course, if you want to start your own discussion, you can always go over to the forum. Yeah, 
Sooner so. or later, the form will be actually integrated into the website. Yeah. That we'll have to start from scratch. But you can still click. It gets you away from the website, but you can still click on it on the website. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, we, we yeah. want to hear from you guys. We want, uh, you know, every time I, re- I read a CNN article and then I read the comments and I'm absolutely infuriated, uh-huh. I think, <laughs> why not us? I would love this. So, um, obviously, we said people can comment on our episodes. Okay. They should probably have a topic to comment on. Better. So let's give them something to talk about, Tyler and Jason. Let's get into it, shall we? <gasps> That's you, you're usually better than that. This has been this has been a week for you. I thought that was wow. a good one. Was it? Just let's like, give them something to talk about. Well, I do like you incorporating the, yeah. the song into. I mean, a little yeah. mystery to figure out. <laughs> How about? Oh. There you go. Exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're talking about, I guess. I'm, uh, I'll have to find once, as as always, I'm going to have to find a pithy way to sub, sum this up. But uh, we're talking about when does something cross that line into being exploitative. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there are movies and scenes in movies in which graphic violence or or, or graphic sex or, you know... Even characters being racist, uh, subversive ideas. Yeah, that that's called for. And then there's a point where it becomes exploitative. Where is that point? And I'll add this: Is it necessarily a bad thing? Is being exploitative necessarily bad? And uh, so this this topic comes out of um, an idea that I had had a few weeks ago, and we opted not to do it because uh, I came up with it, I think, on the day, and Dave was like, that would require a fair amount of mental preparation. I was like, yeah, yeah fair enough, actually. And I had a semantic disagreement with you. That's right. About yes, yes. the definition of the word fetish. Uh, yes, because my, my initial thought, and, I, and for the life of me, I don't remember what brought it on, if I had just seen a movie or whatever, um, that, uh, that made me think of this, but I was thinking about the fetishization of violence and gore. Mm-hmm. And um, and we opted not to not to do that, and so because I said you can't fetishize an idea, you fetishize an object, and uh, I think you can fetishize an idea, but that's I think not that's connotatively true. Maybe these days, but by the strict, I think mm. classical definition of the word fetish, it has to be an object. And you're nothing if not a purist, David. <laughs> I am. I'm a fetish purist. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't fetishize purity, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can once you I'll start try. making those rings. Um, so, because you, you need an object to fetishize. That's right. So, uh, but we opted not to do it. And so, when we were uh, coming up with uh, topic ideas for today, David said, "Well, what about your idea about like fetishizing gore and that sort of thing?" And I, and because I couldn't remember quite why I wanted to do that. And because I had just had a conversation with a uh, friend of the show, Jason Aiken, right uh, to my right, uh, last night. David's and, and left. Over, and over the last, uh, don't show him too much behind the curtain. Come on now. They no, don't know I, we're sitting uh, at a table. As far as they know, Jason was just commenting the fact that I had gotten up and walked away from the table. <laughs> David's uh, back. David's left. <laughs> David's returned. So, uh, but uh, as it happens, Jason and I have been having a discussion similar to this for the last week or so. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to go larger than just violence. How do you stay married? What? You've been having this conversation with Jason for a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, just not. I bring Jen in and it's like, Jen, what do you think about exploitation? She's like, I'm yeah. all for it. And then she, you know. What leaves. do you have to say about the conversation she's having with her friends? 
She just started laughing in the other room. Uh, you know what? I, that's none of my business. You know? That's how I stay married. Don't rock the boat. I think everything's my business, which is maybe why I'm not married. That's true. That is true. And why, uh, slowly but surely, you're pushing me away. So, um, so I wanted to, to take it bigger and just turn it, because, and make it not merely violence or gore, and turn it into something larger, which is the idea of something being exploitative, which is something you and I have not talked much about it uh, on the show. We'll, we'll maybe, you know, have a little throwaway comment about a certain violent scene and being like, ah, that's a little exploitative, or, you know, we talk about it in horror movies a lot. Um, well, but we've never really defined We haven't defined it, and I, and I don't have a dictionary to. in front of me, so this is going to be like when we did our Journeyman episode, a made-up definition that that's, suits our conversation. That's fine with me, and well, that's I why a, I wanted Jason here. He I have a dictionary kind of definition of exploitation. Oh, you have it there with you? Yeah. No, that's going to ruin the this fun. Is why, this is why we have Jason on. Mm-hmm. Why don't you do experts and intermediates anymore? <laughs> because because com- you pissed off your co-host? No, I completed the podcast. Could- <laughs> I com- we came to the end of the podcast. Pressure got to be too much? Hey, I understand. Podcasting is a pressure cooker. <laughs> he had to get his PH fucking D. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, you did some, some research there. So what is the textbook definition of ex- exploitation? And then I'll tell you what I would prefer it was. By the way, that could not have been more patronizing. Oh, I see you did some research there. Hey, <laughs> Why don't we uh, give it a read? If so we're going to condescend to have Jason on our show, <laughs> he's going to have to put up with being patronized. We don't like quitters on this show, do we, David? <laughs> well, so David's got nothing in front of him. Tyler's got oh, except a for all the podcast equipment. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm when did you stop being show. just the producer? What's that? I remember a long time ago, like early on, you said that you considered me the primary host and you were more the producer. I'm like, man. Yeah, I and miss then, those days. And then when we moved to recording at your apartment as That's opposed true. to my apartment, it kind of switched. It did. Where I There was a while there where I didn't do anything but show up once a week. You were just the taller man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, now the tables have turned again. Yeah. You don't do anything. That's not true. I set up <laughs> these mics. Yeah. You they also weren't do attached to anything, but lots, whatever. Uh, stuff with the with the website. Fair enough. But yes, yeah, so so David's not prepared at all. So yeah, the point I'm here my, being, I'm a little bit prepared, and it was yeah. my idea. Jason, way over prepared. I've got, I've got a lot of things. I've got okay. many. Things. Let's start with the textbook definition of right. exploitation. People are on the edge of their and fucking then seats right now. I'm and sure they are. Well, no, they're not. They can just look it up. <laughs> <laughs> In the time we've been bullshitting, they've looked it up and they've been like, "Oh, you know what? I think I understand exploitative film. I'm 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 good." Yeah. Incidentally. I'm going to turn this off and delete it, and probably unsubscribe. Maybe I will write a comment now that I think about it. <laughs> Let's get to the Ex- exploitation. Def- de- Selfish utilization. Two words. Very simple. Selfish utilization. Nice. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. So it's uh, like okay. Let's see what do we, what what does selfish mean in terms of a filmmaker? I guess we're talking about taking something and using it. Only to benefit yourself, mm-hmm. and so what does that mean? Does that mean making something that will? Uh, well, what is the benefit to the self of the director? Is it getting uh, people's attention? I go ahead. and the question. The fir- I think the further question is: What is being exploited? Is it? Are you exploiting your actors or whatever, or are you exploiting? A negative impulse in the audience in order mm-hmm. to get what you want, which is you know, asses and seats or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Well, I talked about. Um, there's a reason I, when I was giving um, 
examples of things that could be exploited. I talked about racism. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's a movie that everyone loves, and I love it too. It's called Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. But it also has a scene in uh, Lawrence Tierney's office between him, Tom Sizemore, and Chris Penn, where Chris Penn... Did you say Tom Sizemore? Uh, Tom, Michael Madsen. They're the same guy, wow. right? <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Yeah, they've all, you're not I've the always, first one to, to say that. I, I remember. I'm not, it's not the first time I've said it. Back in the day of uh, like Fame Tracker, when that was a website, they always said like these guys are interchangeable. Yeah, you know. So, um, yeah, Michael Madsen, uh, Michael Sizemore, um, <laughs> Chris Penn, Lawrence Tierney, and Chris Penn is giving Michael Madsen some trouble making fun of him for things that might have happened to him while he was in prison. Mm-hmm. That is the most third-grade way to, dis- yeah, to he's, explain what he's doing. He's, I like yeah. that. Um, although, given Charlie... The, uh, man, I keep getting off topic, but there was a thing that my dad used to say. I don't know that that's your fault. Um, it was a way... like The idea of flirting with someone by like gently teasing mm-hmm. is like... Oh, you were giving her some trouble, huh? <laughs> you would say that all the time. <laughs> and my brother says it now, and uh, uh, I find it very charming. Um, it is kind of charming. But anyway, uh, he's essentially accusing Michael Madsen, I had to think about it, mm-hmm. of having been raped by black people. Black men. <laughs> yeah. Specifically. <laughs> it's a men's... It was not a co-ed penitentiary yeah. he was in. Uh, I mean, that's implied. It could have been. Um, from what I infer... It's only men. Um, and it, it's a really ugly scene, like to the point where when I watch the movie now, I kind of dread the scene. Like, mm-hmm. Because I don't I well, don't see what what purpose it serves. I mean, I, I, okay. And later, on Steve, Chris, and later on, Steve Buscemi uh, says yes. the N-word a couple of times. Yes, but it doesn't go on as long. That's This scene in Lawrence Tierney's office mm-hmm. is ugly to me. Okay. Because it... Okay, you want to say something about Chris Penn's character... You could do that quickly. Mm-hmm. It goes on to where Quentin Tarantino is clearly just having fun writing all this racist, homophobic stuff. And I wonder if it, does that would that count as exploitation to you? Is it is it exploiting the taboo of the things that he's saying to, I, I guess, hold people's attention to make an impact to shock? And oddly enough, and what's interesting is because that scene doesn't I don't think it goes on as long as you think it does like the scene is pretty long that exchange is maybe only 30 seconds although that can be pretty long if you're yeah really uncomfortable <laughs> um but uh like I I feel like you can I don't know if you're doing something to reveal character and you are and you're not necessarily condemning it in the moment because the other characters aren't they're on board with what he's saying um, I feel like that's kind of okay. I think a lot of people actually gave Tarantino static um, with Jackie Brown. Well, yeah, Spike Lee sort of uh, kicked that off. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah. I didn't know who st- I didn't know who started. Well, it. yeah, I mean, Spike Lee obviously knows Samuel Jackson. He's been in some of his films, and he, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, made some noise when the movie came out about um, the number of times that Samuel Jackson says the N word. Yeah, yeah, which is a it is a lot, and even though, even though it is you know as as it, comedians point out and and as commentators point out, like well the character is black, so it's okay for him to say this, but the sheer number of times he says it, like this yeah. is exhausting. But you know, and the and but and the writer is white. Yeah, but, there is that. Uh, I don't know if it's. I feel like 
and maybe it's not my place to say because I'm white. We're all white here at this mm-hmm. table. Um, but I feel like that choice on Tarantino's part does serve the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think it does say something about who Samuel Jackson is, the world that he that he lives in, the sort of the the sort of narrow scope of his uh, universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, partially it's probably just that Samuel Jackson does a great job with the dialogue. Yeah, really wonderful. Uh, that has never bothered me as much as this 30 seconds is it really only 30 seconds because it feels like that's ex- about that exchange is really minutes. only about that um, so is your problem the words that are being said or the playfulness with which the actors i, I think are- it's just the, the the utility of like of the scene mm-hmm. you know are you saying uh, that anything some that happens the- in any movie is a choice or a yeah. series of choices or the culmination of choices by a bunch of different people right but they should serve a, serve a purpose. And I'm not saying they necessarily need to serve the plot or necessarily need to serve the character or necessarily mm-hmm. need to serve any one thing, but they need to, need to serve a purpose. And I think that scene in Lawrence Tierney's office does serve a purpose. It's just not a purpose that I like because it's shocking. Do you, do you dislike it because you dislike those characters having those attributes or you dislike the length? I think I dislike it because I can see the writer in it. Mm. Uh, like it, it goes on long enough. I know you're saying that it doesn't go on as long as I remember it does. I'll have to watch it again. But it goes on long enough that I step out of the movie during that scene, and I just... And you think about the writer actually writing those words, yeah, and, and why like, is he spending this much time writing these yeah. particular words? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, I'm going to bring up another movie that could, couldn't be more different, uh, called The Chamber. Uh, it was, it's a John Grisham film with uh, Gene Hackman, and... Uh, Never at- heard of either one of them. Well done. Um, John Voight's the villain. Is he the villain? No. I don't know. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen the film. Seems like it could be. Doesn't it? You're thinking of the Rainmaker, though. Um, And as frequently, as will sometimes happen in John Grisham films, because he writes, you know, uh, he writes books about the South, and so like in A Time to Kill and in The Chamber, you run across, you know, clan members or ex-clan members or whatever, and so you get some really hateful speech from certain characters and the idea is you know it's meant to make you really not be on board with these with these characters and that's all well and good except it's in service of a story that like it, you almost feel like he's trying to utilize and that we're back to that word utilize mm-hmm. he's trying to utilize something that is that that ang- you know angries up the blood i don't know why i'm quoting abraham simpson but like it <laughs> it, it angries up the blood like it, it inherently gives you a you know kind of gives you a start when you hear it especially when you hear a you know a white person saying these things um and it almost feels like he's trying to like the filmmaker or perhaps the novelist i I don't know if it's john grisham's fault or the director of the film um it almost feels like they're trying to use that feeling in you to legitimize a completely disposable story and it's you almost feel like if you're going if you're going to use these terms you need to earn it Mm-hmm. As opposed to have this thing that means nothing, just pure, just pure entertainment, and then you bring this in, it's like ah, that's almost a little too. I don't know. Yeah, and I know um, that like Cisco and it, Ebert it's a different had a, kind of exp- exploitation um, in that they're the writers or filmmakers or whatever get. And I haven't seen this movie, but mm-hmm. in general, I'm talking about there. It's a cheap way of getting the audience on your side because you're exploiting a feeling in them where wherein they get to feel 
superior like they're on the side of good and almost mm-hmm. like they're doing something with some social worth just right. by sitting through a movie where the bad guys are racist and and like further proof of how bad the movie is is that um gene hackman's character is you know this terrible racist guy but and he says awful things but as the film goes he on he lives in a chamber he does live in a gas chamber, yes. It, yeah. It's very, uh, you know, and he's dying slowly with that, each new convict, they guess. They're like, you really should get out of here. He's like, this is my home, or whatever. And so so by the end of it, they they kind of make the character, they sort of redeem the character, and all of a sudden he's not such a bad guy. And then, of course, once that happens, he's not saying these words anymore. His attitude hasn't changed, as far as I can tell. And so in that moment, it's like, okay, they really are just using the words to get a response out of you, the audience, not recognizing how much weight those words really have. Mm-hmm. and Or maybe just not caring. Or maybe, yes, just not caring, which might, I think, be worse. Yeah. And so, um, and I feel like, yes, racism is something that, as much as, as or much not, as, not, this, not, or racist not, language. Yes. 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 Um, hate speak, one could say. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, like, I don't know, it, it's something that I think people throw in casually not and i don't mean to imply that tarantino is a casual writer i don't think he is but um i think he but there is something about the way that he writes those words yeah and admittedly it's one of his earlier scripts yeah but i I was was just watching pulp fiction again the other night which man that's a good movie it really is a good movie i hadn't seen it in years but sometimes you say really a person says really obvious things but they're obvious because they're so very true you watch Pulp Fiction like oh yeah this is one of the best movies I've ever seen yeah Yeah. I remember now but it makes me uncomfortable that he cast himself as Jimmy because I feel like he wanted to say dead n-word storage over and over again yeah Okay, this, bring, this brings up something interesting okay. that I'd like to, to ask. But first, I want to respond to what you're saying about Reservoir Dogs. Because those, the, the characters in that scene, going along in the movie with what happens plot-wise, you're not really supposed to be on their side. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? And honest to God, I've seen this movie like what 10 times uh-huh. i don't i don't remember that scene <laughs> or that or that bit i, I don't remember i, I it very all. much do because it is and chris i first off i think chris penn was a really great actor and yeah. i like what he does with that character but man he hits that I, section mm-hmm. he basically well i'm not going i don't even want to paraphrase well, it. No, yeah, but no, like, I, really. but I remember them, them wrestling which yeah, yeah. like i remember that but i don't, I don't think those. i'm a homophobe but it makes me uncomfortable it doesn't make me uncomfortable. But I think but. it's more about... No, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to make a joke. In general, like, I can't watch MMA, and it's not a homophobic thing. Like, I just... I don't like to really be touched in a... In, unless I'm, <laughs> In like, a sexy way by a man? No, in any way, unless I'm engaged in, you know, an actual sex act with a woman, mm-hmm. I, don't like, I don't like to be touched at all. What about a high five? It, I'm, I, I, but a pat I've, on the shoulder. I don't like pats on the shoulder. High five, David. High fives and handshakes I've made my I've become accustomed to. How do you feel about the fist bump? But uh yeah, Ugh. that's all great. Hand stuff is fi- hand on hand contact. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm what about fine knocking some but, elbows together? Like I but uh, anyway, I'm trying to say something about myself and this is completely off topic, but like MMA stuff, I'll watch it and it'll make me feel uncomfortable and then I'll go, "Fuck, am I a homophobe?" And I don't think it is. I just don't like the idea of people touching. Well, and it also doesn't <laughs> I just like that question. Fuck, am I a homophobe? Am I a fucking homophobe? Good. Yeah, you don't you don't run across that exact phrasing uh, a lot. But um, I think you might be homophobophobic. 
Nobody ever uses that term. But it seems like it could. It seems like it could work. I'm right. afraid of homophobes. <laughs> and so that's got to be a thing. Anyway, here. Okay, wait, go no, ahead. Tyler was going to say something. I'm no, no, no. It's it's fine. Jason, something go ahead. else. I've been ta- I've been talking. Uh, but that a scene. Lot. I was. I, I said that uh, that all started with me trying to remind you of the scene because it does end with him wrestling on the floor. Right. But then Chris Penn also then start as a result of that starts saying like gay things, yeah. like like anti-gay things as yeah. well, just adding to his charm as a character. <laughs> yeah, Jason, but, go ahead. I, I think. If you throw one of those things, you throw one of those words in. One, Tarantino never just like throws an idea out there and lets it like drift off. There's always like an exchange about it. So he's not just going to throw out one word like that. And I think if he did, it might be a little too easy, given how cool the movie is, it might be a little too easy to dismiss those things and just be like, ah, oh, well, he said it one time. If you have a, a, an exchange that mm-hmm. is prolonged, then you can't ignore that as much. But. It may still be funny, and it may still be kind of, you know, lighthearted between those two. That, if anything, to me, almost makes it, almost drives the point home stronger than if they're like, I'll tell you who I don't like. I'll bet you agree. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, Reservoir Dogs, that scene, the comedy doesn't doesn't work for me. Because as much as I'm kind of uh, judgmental of the Jimmy character in Pulp Fiction, that little speech about, you know, a sign out from that says dead yeah. inward storage, like, it is kind of funny. Like, it, it exactly. does make me laugh. Yeah. And that's why it's a more intellectual revulsion yeah. as as opposed to a gut revulsion that and I have I think, to the Rosemary yeah. Boggs thing. I think that character is actually using it because he knows Jules mm-hmm. and wants to get a specific reaction out of him. Also, I think it's more about their relationship, actually. Also, let me ask, let me ask you this. Uh, and I'm sorry that we're, we're picking on Quentin Tarantino. Of course, I, I love him as a filmmaker. But um, Jimmy's wife is black. At, well, at least in Jules's version of the story. Right, exactly. But and, Jules knows him, so yeah, I guess. Yeah, and that's the thing. is like She doesn't have any lines. She's not really even a character. Bonnie, uh, yeah. the Bonnie situation. Uh She's not even really a character in the film. We never see her. We only see her in a fantasy sequence. And it it almost makes me wonder, like, huh, I wonder if Tarantino made her black, which she could have been anything. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he did that to offset... Or maybe add another layer to that line. And I don't want to... I'm not going to name names, but... uh, Name them. No, but I I know people, like, white people Mm -hmm. who... Because they're dating or married to someone who is not white, they feel like sort of like Tim Watley on Seinfeld yeah. changing, <laughs> like converting to Judaism so he can make jokes. Like I, I, I feel like I, I've known people who like either have, you know, a black girlfriend or wife or a black or or a Asian girlfriend or wife or a Jewish girlfriend mm-hmm. or wife who feel like that gives them the okay to talk like that to make those kind of jokes. Mm-hmm. And so the that's another thing that makes the Jimmy character a little more realistic to me like i think like oh this is a guy who like quentin tarantino in real life is uh weirdly transfixed by black culture and probably uh feels like he's some sort of honorary black man (laughs) which tarantino (laughs) pretty much does thinks he is i Mm -hmm. think uh but one more thing on Pulp Fiction that's a little off topic and then maybe we can talk about something other than quentin tarantino and race i've got three criteria uh, for for uh, what we've been talking about, but one one thing like 
like I said, Pulp Fiction is really good. But in watching the, uh, this, uh, maybe we can tie this back into exploitation. But the part where Marvin gets shot in the face, mm-hmm. like it's a little clumsy and telegraphed, and also like obviously Vincent's not supposed to be as he's supposed to be a little more of a loose cannon than Jules. But would Marcellus, who employs intelligent, capable people like Jules and the Wolf, put up with this guy who's such a who's so unprofessional? I mean. This guy is a professional killer. Would he be sitting around with his gun still in his hand while they're leaving the scene of a murder and just waving it around and talking and keeping his finger on the trigger? Wouldn't he know? I don't. I, I, do I don't think he was carrying it out as they are like walking to the car or anything. Why I is guess he having he this pro- hand? He probably had it in the back of his pants, and then when you go to sit down, you take it out and keep it in your lap. I don't know. And being yeah. a trained hitman, you always keep your hand, your finger on the trigger. You never know. I just came up with that theory right yeah, now. That's that's not yeah. true. I've I've watched The Wire. Like uh, Chris and Snoop kept their gun in a secret compartment in the truck. Um, uh, these were simpler the, times. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So that that scene did kind of bother me. Like uh, I I remember on the Reservoir Dogs uh, DVD, there's a commentary. They showed the movie to a guy who was actually in prison for like bank robbery, and he was talking about what fuck ups all these guys were. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Quentin Tarantino maybe doesn't have. Like, he knows how to write fun movie characters, but he doesn't actually have his finger on the pulse of what a criminal behaves and talks like. Well, yeah, I mean, he's he knows how criminals behave and talk in movies as... Right. And in that, in that way, all of us, that's what we all know. Like, I don't know a lot of criminals, mm-hmm. and I don't know what that culture is. I could tell you, you know, what so-and-so did in such a movie, and I feel like Tarantino doesn't necessarily feel like he should yeah. know that. He is like, okay, Mr. Blue, Mr white mr pink yeah it's like uh, the original taking a pelham one two three right okay that's all i need but i still think vincent but his movies are never le- purely realistic vincent leaning so over the back and fine. pointing the gun right at marvin sitting mm-hmm. there and then like repeating the question like he's not even saying anything of worth it's clearly just a setup to what happens it just mm-hmm. i love the movie but that scene felt really clumsy to me uh on, in a visit uh, whenever I see that, well, the first time I saw that scene and I didn't know what was coming, uh, I remember he goes back and he's and he and he is talking to Marvin when he does that and he's got the gun pointed at him and I remember thinking like he, man, he's got a he's got a loaded gun pointed at oh yeah like you know but that's the thing is like I almost my my attitude is like oh that seems dangerous as opposed to oh something's gonna happen <laughs> like yeah. it didn't seem so telegraphed okay. Especially because isn't he talking with Jules like they're arguing about whether or not it was like a miracle at that point? Yeah, but then he says, so like, he says, what do you make of all this, Marvin? And Marvin says, man, I don't even have an opinion. And then he says, you have to have an opinion. I mean, do you really think God came down and stuff? Like he's saying, he's saying what we've been hearing the whole conversation about. Mm-hmm. He's not adding anything new to it. It's clearly just a setup for him to turn around and point the gun at Marvin. It's a certain degree of incredulity, which is like... Seriously, you're listening to this. Maybe and you my don't problem have is that John Travolta isn't as good an actor as Samuel Jackson, say, or Phil Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think he's a fine actor, and I think he's good in that role. I think he sells that as he's much as it can be, as much as it could have been sold. Also, okay, we really do have to move on, yeah, because yeah. we've been going for a while. But Phil Lamar, they talk a million times after he gets shot of. Like, his head being blown off. It's a body minus a head. There's mm-hmm. no head. Blah, 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 blah. No head. Heads all over the place. And then when you get the shot inside the trunk, it's like there's all of Phil Lamar. He's just... Yeah. He just has a very large hole in his head. I yeah, wonder if they're just brains. speaking in that... 
just like I'm gonna blow your head off. It's like, well, you're gonna shoot me in the head. My head's still gonna be there. Yeah. Like maybe they're maybe that's just how they how those movie criminals talk. You well, know? it's okay. minus the stuff that makes up the head. Right. The face. The is real still substance there. of the head. Yeah. But then where did he get shot? Anyone can have a head. The gun was pointed right at his face. I think yeah. it went in his face. Like I think you. I think I thought you saw a bullet hole in his face or maybe, his forehead. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But, um, All right, let's talk about something other than race and Quentin Tarantino. Okay, okay. so here's what I got. So what, sexual or violent exploitation? Uh, actually, uh, uh, I'll let you go ahead, Jason. Okay. So I've got three basic things that if one of these is present, or and, and they all sort of tie in together, uh, I think you may be in the realm of exploitation. Um, the fir- And this is actually, this is on the part of... I, you, if you want to say the filmmaker, the writer, the director, or just the film as a whole... I, I would say a better term to use would almost be the spirit of the film. Um, the first thing is smugness and or self-satisfaction. Uh, the second is a disregard for its characters. And the third would be meanness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if those things are present, I think you probably have something that is less interested in being about whatever the film is ostensibly about and more about being gross or seeing what it can do to its characters that will elicit a very base reaction from people. Or, if it's about the filmmaker, I think a lot of filmmakers want people to think, and this can be with dialogue, this can be with sex, it can be with violence, wow, that guy's got a lot of balls to do this, Mm -hmm. to go this far. Look how, you know, look how far he's willing to go, look what he's willing to do, wow, that's... Well, let's let's get some examples. Well, real quick though, like when you say specifically like disregard for characters, do you mean a certain flippancy uh, towards? Uh, and I guess that could fit into the smugness as well. Just this idea of like that none of this really means anything, or that uh, there's no real weight to it. I I would say um, if it is not sympathetic to who its characters actually are, okay. to what they are about, whatever whatever they happen to be about. If it doesn't really care or isn't really interested in who these characters are, if they're just sort of there, if they're just there to die, if they're just there to, you know, to be breasts or to Mm -hmm. get naked or whatever, uh, that to me starts to be the signs of like that, that some exploitation is going on. Here's the question. Okay. You guys don't like to know what a director is, what their opinion is about their film. In order to determine if they're being exploitative or not, do you think that you may need to listen to their perspective a little bit? No, I think it, uh, it should be clear in the film. I, I, I can't have a look at your list. The very first movie on your list there... Is one we all agree on. Is Bad Boys 2. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck um, that movie. It's really terrible. It's one of the worst things and, I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I don't need to ask him... I don't need to ask Michael Bay if he has any compassion mm-hmm. for his characters he clearly doesn't i mean and that's right and that's he's exploiting uh again to go back to this everyone. definition of selfish what is it selfish what uh selfish utilization utilization um he is not only exploiting his actors and his crew and mm. his uh makeup audience. department whatever but yeah also the audience he's exploiting their basest instincts mm-hmm. you know i mean Bad Boys Two is only one example, but any uh, one one consistent thing in Michael Bay's movies, one of the things that make him, makes him an auteur, is that his idea of humor is ridiculously 
one-dimensional racial stereotypes. Yeah, racial yeah. stereotypes, sexist ser- stereotypes, mm-hmm. and that's even in like that's in The Rock. Yeah, that's it goes all the way back. Yeah, The Rock. I watched it somewhat recently because I, my, I in my memory, it was a better Michael Bay movie than the other ones. Oh, really? It's not. It's really, no, it's, it's bad. really stupid. Um, but yeah, it, it, like the uh, the tourists are locked up, and of course, the overweight black woman is yelling like. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean the guards don't have a gun? I have a gun. If I'd known, I would have brought my gun. Yeah. It was, it's really... Being um, a black person as I am. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and a woman with a little bit of sass. <laughs> right. It's like... Yeah. Um, I actually... I have... Uh, I came up with four examples of one thing. I tried to pick four war movies and decapitation. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Very specifically, this is a weird little challenge you set up for yourself. <laughs> well, it's, I just, I just thought of it. I didn't plan ahead. It's just the the way it worked out. So I was thinking because because Jen and I were just watching uh, Saving Private Ryan again, and of course that opening. Wait, is that the sequel? Saving Private Ryan again? Yeah. Oh, what now? <laughs> this time he's lost what? in Bangkok. <laughs> and he's um, got a monkey. <laughs> Um. So we were watching. We were watching that, and of course, I don't think any of the violence uh, in that is exploitative. I think you feel every death, um, even the deaths of in the opening twenty. You know the the sequence uh, opening twenty minutes. I think I, the sequ- the opening twenty minutes is. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, above reproach or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's because it's dealt with realistically. But um, if we're gonna I mean, I, this might be broadening the definition of what's exploitative, but like, G- spoilers, uh, Giovanni Ribisi's death death is sentimentally exploitative, don't you think? Right, but it's also, it, it fits into the general sentiment that people might have about war, and one that is entirely possible yeah, for I, the character. What I'm saying is, if the, if the race thing is exploiting the audience's natural push and pull between the taboo and then the... Uh, self-satisfaction it's mm-hmm. reinforcing mm-hmm. the way they already want to feel about racism mm-hmm. you know that they are above it but it's exciting or something saving private ryan could definitely be accused of exploiting uh, or re- reinforcing the way that people want to feel about the people who fought and died in world war Two. uh that's that's, that's not the definition of exploitation just because you're even if you are but playing into something it, it, that no, I think that is if he's if if Spielberg is utilizing the pre-existing, but it has to be selfishly utilized. Yeah, he's for, it's his film. So and if it serves the film, it serves him. If Not necessarily. On, if you're on board with these, I see. I see what you. I don't agree, but I see what you mean. Which is like, well, this will serve to get us even more on board with the characters and even more invested in the film. Right. So it might be. Art- uh, I, again, I don't agree, but I'm trying to get uh, where you th- uh, where you have arrived to arrived at. Um, I, I like the movie, but I yeah, I don't love it. But I think I, you're talking about self-interested utilization, which is different than selfish utilization. Of course, every filmmaker has an interest in making his film good or her film good. That eh, doesn't necessarily mean it's I, a but selfish I don't think, film. I'm not, ta- I don't, I'm not talking about making it good. I'm just talking about getting the audience on your side. Are you talking about using maybe like almost an emotional shortcut? Like, okay, having a yeah. soldier say mama yeah. before he dies. Yeah, that's, a, that's exploitative. But here's what I'll say. Audience. Not every soldier does it. You know, mm-hmm. when we see... I know all the names now. Sorry, because I just watched it. <laughs> when we see Caparzo die, he's got a note to his father, and that's, you know, but he also, 
He also died doing something that all of us would acknowledge is stupid. Yeah. Which is taking that kid. You know what I mean? Like, even, and the fact that when he dies, Tom Hanks says, like, that's why we don't, like, he's upset at what this guy did. Of course, he's sad that he died, but he's also angry at him. So that is a guy who is sentimental about wanting to get this, save this French kid, and it gets him killed. And all of us, almost as if we were in, you know, a theater watching a horror movie, want to yell at the screen, like, Come on. What are you going to do with that kid? Put yeah. it back. Yeah. And well, I'm so, not like, saying that, on the shelf. I, I guess this is why we get into something I brought at the beginning. Is exploitation necessarily a bad thing? Because I eventually want to get around to talking about a movie that also involves Americans dying abroad. Uh, Eli Roth's Hostel, which is a movie that I love, by the way. Uh, and I hate. Even though it. And I you, haven't seen. If you know me, you know it's not the kind of movie I should love. It doesn't seem like your kind I of thing. I don't like gore very much you know i don't like the torture stuff but i really love hostel because i think it's really smart and i think it's about something but it is exploiting uh it is it is exploiting the audiences and maybe i'm just taking this definition of exploiting the audience whereas mm. you guys are more approaching it in terms of exploiting i approach the i approach uh, audience like okay. uh in a lot of ways but uh, well, you know what? Let's save hostile. Let's go back to your uh, wartime, War- wartime decapitations. decapitations. <laughs> hey, we just said the same thing. <laughs> top uh, we top host- five wartime decapitations. Go. <laughs> um, and here's the thing: is like the idea of like using people's sentimental, you know, Tom Brokaw's book "Greatest Generation" feeling towards uh-huh. World War II. I think like you look at it's you know everything provides perspective. It's like it's like uh, saving Private Ryan's. It's a little sentimental. What's this Pearl Harbor? Okay, never mind. Because <laughs> um, right. that I think actually does exploit like exploit like the uh, just this ridiculous sappy patriotism yes. and this feeling that we have but that's neither here nor there because there's no decapitations in that film there might be but i can't think of armor i don't know whereas okay so in saving private ryan in the opening sequence there's a part where uh tom hanks is turning to this one guy who i think has the radio and is saying like say this and then he turns back and then he goes back and the guy is now dead his head having been almost completely destroyed mm-hmm. by uh mortar um and so uh, so that's there. That is someone losing their head, and it's and we see. Sorry, <laughs> I'm thinking of Alice in Wonderland. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, and we see Tom Hanks' reaction, which is of course sadness, but not too much because he doesn't have time. He's got uh-huh. stuff he has to do. But at no point do we think. I feel like the the director's attitude is not like, oh man. However, Wind Talkers. Directed by John Woo, which is not uh-huh. a good movie. Did you see Wind Talkers? I did. A thing that I have said multiple times on this show: if I don't like a movie, I generally don't remember it very well. So I know I saw Wind Talkers, okay. but I don't remember what you're talking. All right, about. Christian Slater get spoilers. Christian Slater gets his head cut off. I don't All remember right. that. Well, and here's and I remember it more vividly than any other thing in that movie, and it's because like he's a supporting character, but nonetheless, he, we're allowed a little bit of time with him. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No, I, I remember Nicolas Cage with handguns. <laughs> I remember... You're thinking of face-off, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. The only thing I remember is them is them being mean to Adam Beach and almost shooting him because they say, with his shirt off, he looks like he's Japanese. Mm. That's the only part, only scene I remember because it was the only thing that was of any interest to me. It's a pretty forgettable movie. Yeah. Surprisingly so, given interesting content. Yeah. But um, but anyway, so there's a scene, uh, I'd say it's like in the big, one of the bigger climactic uh, battles. I think there's maybe two in the third act. Um, but, uh, and so everyone's like running and then one of the Japanese soldiers like has a sword and you see him slash 
at Christian Slater. And then you see later in the midst of all the chaos, you see the camera like go down and you see his head just laying in the sand. Mm-hmm. And it see the I don't know, there there must there's gotta be a better way to choreograph that camera move because as it is right now it's just like because really it's like oh okay we assume that he's dead but just to see his head laying there like it was something out of you know pirates of the caribbean yeah it it's a little too clean and it's a li- and i don't think you're supposed to be like oh man but it's certainly it's a far cry from what i was talking about in saving private ryan uh the patriot Roland Emmerich, of course. Uh-huh. Um, we see somebody decapitated by a cannonball, and I seem to recall it's one of the it's one of one of our boys. Yeah. All right. Another one of them yeah. gets their leg like taken out. That yeah. I remember. I don't remember the head thing. I, oh. I saw it in the theater. I haven't seen it since. I remember I the guy losing his head in glory. Is that on your list? There? I, I know it isn't. I, see, well, your now we got five. Okay. Well, I got Starship Troopers. I'll get to that in a minute. So. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, but in that, like, it's just a guy standing there, and then you see a cannonball go by, and his head is gone, and then his body falls. And in that moment, of course, it's Roland Emmerich, and it's just like, oh, yeah, oh, wait, it's our guy. And, right. of course, it's gr- it should be grisly regardless of what side it is, but nonetheless, like, it's just Roland Emmerich is like, an opportunity for uh, a big, probably implausible uh, set piece? Okay, I'll take it. Uh, it doesn't matter what side it is. And so in that, like, in the Patriot and Wind Talkers, I f- in the Patriot, there's, like, this awesome attitude. In Wind Talkers, it just feels a little too perfunctory, like he didn't totally understand the weight of what he's showing. Saving Private Ryan, I think he has the right attitude. And oddly enough, in Starship Troopers, an incredibly violent film, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a training sequence, there's a moment where a guy takes his helmet off and then through uh, an no, it's, unfortunate it's mistake. decapitated. A no. large portion of his head disappears you know what i'll count it okay and so um and so suddenly he's he's dead and we see all kinds of i would say deaths that are meant to be kind of cool Mm -hmm. but in that moment like there's a like we've gotten to know this guy we know the people that know him and we see the consequences of this accident happening and so i feel like that is oddly enough in starship troopers i feel like that is actually given the proper weight Mm -hmm. um and so you know it and it's odd because I don't know. I didn't listen to the commentary on Wind Talkers or the Patriot. God help me, I kind of want to if is there, there is one. <laughs> well, but. and and that is was I don't know that I agree that Roland Emmerich's attitude is necessarily. Oh man, this is going to be awesome. I and that's why I say like it might I, not be that, but it, I don't think it. It's I certainly don't get the vibe that it's the other one. That it's mm-hmm. like okay, let's be respectful. If anything, it's just a thing to do. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not the deadliest warrior attitude. I wrote that exactly. Down. Yeah. But You're but just obsessed something. with this thing that if I didn't know you, I never would have heard of. You watch. I'm going to say four episodes. You'll be obsessed. I am not for good or ill. To do that. Yeah, people I would, on IMDb I would not recommend are not, that. People on IMDb are not pleased with my attitude about deadly uh, deadliest warrior. By the way, but um, what deadliest catch? I'm on board with that. And then I watched it. Yeah. That's you're, what I want to know is who guy. could catch the most crab, yeah. Napoleon or George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> but um But yeah, and so like that's I tried to pick like one genre, which is war. Admittedly mm-hmm. some of them are period and one of them is sci-fi, but like war, soldiers, and so of course with soldiers we we expect them to die. That's yeah. what they do. And so one genre, one type of character and 
all the same type of thing, but I think very different attitudes. And I think maybe a couple of them might be exploitative of just mm-hmm. like, not, maybe not quite realizing or not caring, as you said earlier, mm-hmm. about the weight of this is war. It isn't bad boys too. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let's, okay. Um, in terms of violence, uh, let's talk about the, the violent deaths in Starship Troopers first. Uh, not the one you're talking about, which is very deeply felt, but mm-hmm. the ones that are kind of like awesome. I yeah, guess. Awesome is the word, yeah. Um, that is maybe exploitative in a good way because um, Paul Verhoeven is trying to say something about um, our bloodlust and the sort of outlets that we find for it and that propaganda helps us channel our mm-hmm. natural bloodlust toward mm-hmm. uh, d- into places that benefit those who are in charge of us maybe mm. i mean that's a really stilted and loose way of summing up what yeah. what starship troopers is about uh and now i want to get to hostile because i don't okay. know if we've ever really talked about it on this podcast because it is a movie that i love like i i don't just like it I what's think your it's feeling great. about hostile too which i, haven't, I seen. haven't seen it okay um don't want to um why not because i've read enough about it is that, that also I, eli roth yeah yeah okay I've read enough about it that it doesn't seem like it's uh, in keeping with the spirit of the original. Which I think is really dreadful, but I'm really but, interested to hear you talk about it. I mean, the original, it, it, uh, Hostel, uh, I can't remember what year it came out, 2004, 2005, something around uh, I there. think it's later. Is it? Is oh, it no, later? you might be right. I think, yeah, Hostel 2 was like 2007, so it's, okay. yeah, it's got to be one of those. Um, at, you know, at a time when... You know, we had George W. Bush as the president. We were unilaterally uh, making decision to, a decision to go into uh, into Iraq and had, of course, gone into Afghanistan. And there were, I'm not saying how I feel about this, but there are people who uh, felt that we had our own personal interests for intervening in the region, you know, uh, oil or, or, or what have you. But, uh, but and, and, and yeah, that's up to interpretation. But what's not up to interpretation is that um, the American decision to go into Iraq, again, unilaterally, without the approval of the United Nations, really pissed off other nations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Hostel is, to me, about um, what it means to the rest of the world these days to be an American. And, you know, when we're beyond our waters... Does our swagger and smugness mean anything anymore, or does it help us anymore? Does it hurt us? Mm-hmm. I guess. And an almost, having not seen the film, but an almost childlike expectation of our own safety. The idea of like, I didn't, I didn't see Teristas either, uh-huh. but I do remember. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. This wasn't from Teristas. This was from uh, the Ruins, which I did see oh. and I read the book. Um, but I think this is specifically in the movie where it's just like they say like four Americans don't just disappear, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's almost that that attitude that you think he's he's speaking to. Yeah, yeah, um, and there's you know for those who don't know the loose plot of Hostel is that these Americans are backpacking, they go to Eastern Europe, they get kidnapped and taken to a place where rich people come from all over the world and pay top dollar for the privilege of being able to torture and murder. Mm-hmm. And we learn from uh, Rick Hoffman's character, um, who is an American, by the way. Rick Hoffman's in that movie? Yeah. Hmm. Um, 
He's a, he's a delight in any movie he's in. Of course. Um, we learn that it costs more to torture and kill an American. Hmm. Um, so, to me, I think the, it's the Hostel is a movie that is not only... It, it's, it does a good job with its commentary because it's not only commenting on um, the American reputation abroad, but it is specifically designed for Americans to watch. It is, uh, you know, not, not that other countries don't have bloodlust, but it it does sort of rope you in with, like, the cool, you know, the, the Jay Hernandez, like, the sort of um, uh, cool, swaggery, like, Van Wildery type of American. That, you know, it's this is supposed to be the cool guy that you look up to in the dumb, raunchy comedy or whatever. Um... And and then of course there's the sensitive guy whatever uh, it's what I'm trying to get at is that it's aimed at American audiences and giving them what they want American audiences do like blood and and a lot of them are going to see Hostel for that reason and then it's sort of Trojan horsing in this uh, it's sort of like I would compare it to uh, Michael Haneke's Funny Games in that it's wow. it's giving the audience this is what egregious. they giving the audience what they think they want but actually sort of uh subconsciously or maybe consciously and overtly in Michael Haneke's case um teaching them a lesson about about it i think that may be one of the things i hate most about that movie aside from uh, hostile you're talking about hostile, not funny games yeah I, I don't disagree that I think Eli Roth had some vague notion about the way Americans act versus the way other people think of them now. What I do disagree with is that there's a shred of intelligent examination of that in the movie. The, it's terribly written, it's terribly acted, and what it's really about is sort of throwing some sex in there and then delivering just unrelenting violence for no reason until we get to a really lame and unsatisfying ending. Um, I think that ending is pretty satisfying, and I don't think I'm, I'm making the case that it is. It is for a reason. It's and and it's as a as egregious as it is for a reason. There's a lot of it because it's supposed to be punishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it one of some of the punishment is toward characters who who we should be caring about but we don't i guess that's that's See, the I, problem is that if you if you go I, if you I, make I, a we're movie we're going to get into spoiler territory here well it's hostile i think I, we know what happens i haven't i haven't seen the movie and I'm not sure if I care about spoilers because I don't know if I'm going to see the movie. But you know what? It I'm sounds not going to interesting because, based on you. But because then, it also. But the point is, if you go, if you make a movie about how stupid people get what's coming to them, that to me is so mean spirited. It doesn't. It's more intelligent than that, and this is where we're getting ooh. into spoiler territory. So and I don't. I, I'm I don't. Go you know what? You go ahead. I don't see intelligence. I'm going to say spoilers for Hostel. And so skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want to be spoiled. I'm sorry, Tyler, but it is important. I actually, to me. do have to go to the bathroom. Okay, go ahead. All right. Um, what I think is important is the fact that the American character that you're supposed to care for, mm-hmm. that you uh, have feelings about, mm-hmm. um, gets killed. Like 
a little over halfway through the movie, and then the one who's the stupid one, the one mm-hmm. who, in a normal... Because not only is it smart, it's also smart about horror movie and movie conventions in general. Mm. The one who is supposed to get killed in the horror movie whatever, the, you know, the, the Matthew Lillard from Scream, you mm-hmm. know, he's the hero by the end. So that it, it, it creates another level where um, the um, obnoxious smugness mm-hmm. that got America into this place to begin with mm-hmm. is also kind of our only way out at this point. It, 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 you really think that that's what the film is trying to suggest? I don't know. It, if, it, how can it, but how can it be an examination of the ways that we're wrong if it's also saying that that is the thing that's going to save us? It can't see, be both. I, I think it's like a... It an, falls an, apart. It's like an episode of Battleship Pretension where there's not actually necessarily an answer at the end. It just has explored a thing. So, Ooh, I, I so Hostel has... explores both sides of our attitudes abroad. How they put us in danger, but also how they get us through that danger. I'm very excited. I feel like I showed up, I got back just in time to hear like the end sentence, and I didn't hear anything. <laughs> Well, you heard him, Jason. It's the end sentence, so I get the oh, last no, word. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Jason. I get the last word on Hostel. Oh, no. Everybody heard you, it. I, I think you've, you've overthought this thing so much, and I think it's just such a... It's a much dumber movie than you're giving a credit. Yeah, That's it, what I think, though. But I, think I don't think even, it's an examination of anything except with stupidity. It, thematically, you can't call I, it dumb... Uh, in terms of construction? construction? That's why I'm calling it dumb. <laughs> this is one of the most poorly written movies in the last ten years. It is... That, that dialogue is atrocious. Okay. If you are trying to get me to care about that character, that's not the way to do it. He just goes along with what his buddy that's says. Not, I'm not talking about construction in terms of character. That's something for you weird theater people to care about. I'm a formalist. Oh, I'm talking, good. I'm is talking about the construction doing? of the plot. Oh, so like, so oh, just just the plots and not the cinematography because that doesn't have anything to do with form because that's really shitty as no, well. The cinematography is good. Oh my goodness gracious! I think we just disagree. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, it's. There's it's, an ugliness to it, but it's not flat. Should I throw Cabin Fever out on the table? By ugliness, do you <laughs> mean... Cabin Fever is actually kind of an ugly... Uh, like, the cinematography is kind of a problem with Cabin Fever. Yeah. It's amateurish. And actually, it is flat. Oddly enough, but I I'm like su- that movie. I'm surprised none of us thought of Cabin Fever when we were talking about race and how flippantly someone can use race because yeah. of that terrible joke it at the end. It doesn't work, yeah. You've As seen Cabin I like Fever, Cabin right? Fever, that I joke don't remember the end, if I have. I don't, that joke no, I don't at the end doesn't so. work. Man, that is not a good movie. So let's move on. We've talked about race. We've talked about violence. We've been going for a while, but I still think we need to talk about sex if we're going to talk about exploitation. Yeah, and... What, yeah. Um, before we get into that, because I know that that will be a longer conversation, I do want to throw out a couple that I'm not really sure what category they fall in. Mm-hmm. One is Precious, mm-hmm. which I feel like might go to what... You're talking about like emotional exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Precious. I liked it way more than I thought I would. I mean, you watch that trailer. I remember the first time I watched it was with you, Jason, and we're just like, oh, yeah, really? It just seemed so overwrought. We're literally why I try not to watch trailers. I know. You know what? I'm on board with you because I, I I hadn't seen a single trailer when I went to see Precious, and I and I really liked it. But if you want to talk about exploiting an audience, yeah, I mean, yeah, boy, and that's why I could keep get... coming back to this idea that being exploitative isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I would say Precious, which is a melodrama. Melodramas are almost always emotionally exploited oh, yeah. to the audience. It's kind mm-hmm. of a what they need to do. Do you? Th- I mean, do you think it might have to do with? Because here's the thing: is that like 
But it can be since you can do that with a measure of sincerity, and I think I think we both probably agree. Precious is actually is so much better than the trailer would lead you to believe. Yes, and I want to compare it to a, a movie that's similar. You look at Precious, and you look at The Blind Side, which I didn't see. Good for you. Should you, I go to the bathroom, or is this going to be spoiled for me? <laughs> I you, think it's, it's spoiled more if you see it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that will be spoiling your life. <laughs> but. I think both of them kind of have this instinct of like, it's like, okay, this, you know, poor black kid and he's not doing, you know, he's not doing too well and she's not doing too well. Now, of course, Precious is much more willing to be gritty and deal with some pretty rough things. So that's fine. But at the same time, I almost feel like it's willingness to go all the way with the grit and the terrible things gives it a bit more legitimacy. Now, every new thing it adds on is, is one more like... you know hash mark like okay we've got this too but i feel like there's a real sincerity there and i'm sure there's a sincerity there's an an experiential authenticity to it as opposed to lifetime original movies right which are taken from like the people who wrote them you feel like they read about awful things in a newspaper (laughs) and like the reader's digest (laughs) yeah yeah uh, of which you've seen a you've seen a surprising number of Lifetime original and movies. Not anymore. My okay. ex girlfriend I used to live with was obsessed with them, so I saw a lot of them. Okay, and so like I feel like Blindside and Precious are actually very similar, but I think both of them are are sort of exploiting, you know. Uh, well, I'll be honest, like upper middle class white people, <laughs> and this feeling of like yes, we do. We do save people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like... But we we have talked We talked about race. We didn't talk about class. And it's, it's weird that we've done this whole episode on exploitation and not talked about black exploitation. Yeah. But, but, but that... Uh, it's mostly because I haven't seen hardly any But that... I've I mean, seen some. It, it was um, sort of a condescending way of giving this niche audience what they want but it's not really what they want it's what they're being told they want mm-hmm. and they did embrace it though i mean those are very popular i don't movies. think you can say that across the board well they no, embraced no. it um but they found an audience as well i mean I there's a reason say. that black exploitation is ripe for study because mm-hmm. it has both things it has um you know this crass obsession with prostitution and sex and violence you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um you know, and and drugs and all the stuff that is a condescension to the black audience, mm-hmm. but it also uh, has had images of uh, empowered. I know that word these days is only applied to uh, cheap third wave feminism, but <laughs> <laughs> empowered minorities uh, in one way or another that were powerful images, probably in ways that the studios backing them didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't I, intend. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that I like about. And again, I haven't seen very many of them, but you know, Shaft and Foxy Brown, and my probably my favorite one, which is Superfly, which has a wonderful soundtrack by Curtis Mayfield. But also, it's it's you really wonder like, did the studio just give them money and then like leave them alone? I think that probably happened a lot. Probably, I mean, and I think you actually get some good movies out of it. Um, and Superfly is like a legitimately good movie. It's got all the things you're talking about, but it, it, there really is an empowerment to it. Yeah. People should um, also—I know this is, you know, an obvious thing—but if you haven't seen Sweet Sweetback's badass song, which I haven't, check that out. Okay, I have not either. Yeah, it is um, surprisingly impressionistic and uh, artsy fartsy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, given the you know the company it keeps on the black exploitation uh, 
shelves at the video store that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And so would you say that black exploitation started as true exploitation by like, you know, white studio executives and then it actually sort of got, you know, like then the inmates took over the asylums. Well, that's one way of putting it, but <laughs> yeah, it's you know, they they're like, well, there's money to be made here, but I don't know what these people want. So, uh, here, you, uh, why don't you make this movie here? And then they made like some pretty solid movies, and they still incorporate. Hmm. I think the best uh, example from what I've read, I actually haven't seen this movie. Is a movie called Ganja and Hess, which hmm. was, yeah, conscri- conscripted or whatever by the backers to say, uh, hey, Blackula was su- a success. <laughs> Make a make a black vampire movie, and then, mm. from what I understand, it gets made a very like impressionistic and weird and again artsy fartsy film awesome. that I have been meaning to see for years and haven't gotten around to. I actually, and this will take us into sex. I'm going oh, to s- I'm going to skip Freaks, okay, which is a wonderful film that seems like it's exploitative, and to a certain extent, it is. But not really. Freaks is an amazing uh, example of filmmaking and life. So, um, but oddly enough, I was going to use this opportunity. You mentioned earlier a script that Jason was writing. Mm-hmm. And oh. uh, now, of course, I don't want to go into a lot of detail about it. But yeah. what I was talking about with, um, you know, black exploitation films, the attitude of the studio seemed to be as long as it contains this, this, mm-hmm. and this do what you want right and the script that you're writing actually sort of comes about from that and i yeah. and again i don't i don't want you to give any more detail than you are comfortable with giving and maybe not give any names but uh but this is a script about a black pri- black private dick <laughs> yeah <laughs> who's actually very considerate of all the chicks <laughs> <laughs> uh well i guess the way to, to try to be as terse as i can mm-hmm. The way it started was I've worked on a couple of films, uh, like low-budget horror films, like maybe ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and they're all terrible. Mm-hmm. And but but they're starting to have a little bit of production value, and it seems to me that the people financing them they don't really care what's in it, as long as it has a certain number of kills and a little bit of sex, mm-hmm. or maybe a lot of bit of sex. But like they don't really care, and just sort of some weird stuff. That's what they're. That's what they're looking for, um, and the. I, I, I was out in. Um, where was it? Twenty nine Palms in in. Uh, where is that in relation to Elsa Gunda? <laughs> <laughs> Inside joke. Sorry. <laughs> um, we spent a week there, and I was noticing. I was like, "There's not many deaths in this movie. There's only like two or three, and they like. I mean, they were shooting it on a red camera, which. For those of you who know sort of more independent films, like that's a very good camera to be shooting on. That is surprising. It is. It's very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, why don't I write a movie? It'll be so much better than this. I'll be able to direct it. I can write it. And as long as I have these sort of core elements in there, I can do whatever I want. And so it took it took a long time to sort of hit upon something that was interesting to me as a filmmaker that I would want to write and direct uh, and also in keeping with those things. But once I did, it's, it's a movie about a writer who secludes himself in a cabin in the woods to finish a novel. There's lots of similar movies out there. Uh, and then name one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> um, but so then these these two girls show up, and of course they disrupt his his writing, um, and you start learning more about them. And of course they have sort of a tortured past, and his sort of the way he writes involves a certain amount of kind of revving himself up and and things like that, and and there there is some sex in it, and I don't tend to write sex, but the more I kind of got into who the characters were and what the characters were about, the more it seemed not only just sort of like something that I could just plug in, but it seemed something that was in a way essential to the film. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've even gotten to a place where like there's some pretty... There's some stuff that if someone just mentioned it to me and said, hey, this is what my movie's got. It's got this many deaths and it's got this many boobs and uh, it's got this thing in it. I would think ooh, that's not a movie that I would want anything to do with. That's not a movie that I would ever think would be made with any sort of respect or intelligence. However... What's, what's, the, what's the breast cap for you? Like, the, oh, the number of breasts? Yeah, at what point does a movie stop uh, interesting you? Well, if, uh, or if it in continues terms of respect. to have breasts, it will continue. No, to I mean, uh, me. but you're saying uh, uh, you said this many boobs, which is a word I hate, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't respect it anymore. You don't think yeah. it's intelligent. Well, I'm just wondering, just, like, just what is so, the like, because you asked me beforehand how many <laughs> pairs of naked breasts were in the changeup, right? The because uh, so uh, what uh, is, uh, I, I no, feel like you have a you have a, an idea in your head of like where things go off the rails. No, that was. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the reason is because I had read Ebert's review of that, and I had been talking right. to Tyler about just, like, sort of the exploitative thing in Wedding Crashers, which is even a movie I kind of enjoy. But there are so many pairs of literally faceless breasts in that movie, in just, like, scene after scene after scene, montage after montage. And it just sort of, like, get, got to a point where I was like, I feel bad for these actresses. I feel bad... That that this is what they're being paid to do, and that this is what they've okay. done. Isn't that patronizing on your part? I don't think so. I, I don't think, think it's patronizing. I to, think you're making to wish that someone got their face on screen <laughs> instead of just their boobs. I don't know if that that's patronizing. I, I I think it could be. I think you're bringing your own ideas of what is important and respectable and worthwhile. Yeah, uh, against someone else's ideas of yeah, what is you, sexy you, and titillating. But you're assuming Hot. that... Hot. <laughs> you, you're attempting to speak for the actresses here. No, I'm not. I, I said I feel bad for them. Whether they, they, they may not give a shit. That doesn't mean that I don't... So you still feel bad for them even if they don't give a shit? Yeah. Why? Because it would be nicer... If they didn't just have to be a pair of breasts, I don't know that it would be nice. I think it might maybe it would be easier for you to accept with your certain set of of priorities and morals and principles. I, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I think it would. I think it would be better. Is right. what I'm saying. But for you, so I'm saying when you say you feel bad for them, no, I think it would be better in general. I think it would be better. I mean, what if if you think a certain thing based on your morals and principles, you think it would be better in general, not just better for you. It's not better for like me. It's not better necessarily for me as an individual if I see an actress's face and not her boobs. I think it's better for everyone if we don't just stick a bunch of boobs on a screen and not. Well, this care comes about back to face. a word we were using earlier: utility. Now, I haven't seen Wedding Crashers, but my, uh, I'm sure the. 
odd. I haven't seen it either. That's so. And strange. we're like the only two. And the thing is, really? I saw it twice in theaters because <laughs> it's a moderately funny movie. But if it's a, it's a movie about guys who get laid a lot, so the utility of showing mm-hmm. them getting laid, it, within it's, those scenes, the breasts are probably more important than the face. Uh, yes. It, does it, does it comment on on that at that's all? That's that's the thing. I. It's the sheer length of the scenes. And okay. the sheer number of it. And I thought, well, maybe they're trying to make a comment that to these guys, you know, they're not remembering the face or they're not remembering this or not remembering that. But at a certain point, that breaks down and it becomes more about how many pairs of boobs can I fit into yeah. my movie I'm and so, get away I just with still want to come back to this idea that I think you're phrasing. There's a reason you not liking that, but saying that you feel bad for the actress is kind of condescending and patronizing. I don't think it is. Think would you? It is. Would you rather... Okay. Let's let's play. Would you rather? As as an actor, like on comedy, bang bang. You want to be an actor in my movie? Yeah. What if I just want to use your cock? Yeah. Uh, I that's mean, all I want to use. I was not expecting that. That's that's what you mean to me. Well, I Is mean that patronizing and condescending. What if someone else says, "Hey, David, I wish he'd give you a line in the movie." I, 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 it, it has to do. It comes back to the utility. What's more important, right? And, and, the line and of the guy who you're, says, you're right. like, "Your I'm table saying, is ready, sir." You never see him again. I'm saying, or the, the utility, one cock you see in the whole movie. That I'm saying changes the utility the of these breasts is not is not worth it. I'm saying that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it is. It, it, it seems to be selfish on the part of the filmmaker. Okay, and that's so why I feel you feel bad. bad for the actresses. If I can get this right, um, I think I understand. Not because. Because you said it was because their face wasn't shown, but it's more because they were used because in of service why of their something. Because their face isn't shown, I should have said. Yeah. Right, okay, that, that makes more sense. Because in a counterexample, there's a pair of breasts, I think, in Airplane. Damn right there that is. perfectly serve, exi- <laughs> like, to see the face would, would be ridiculous. Right. I see. In well, that instance. You almost feel as the, again, I haven't seen the film, I'm just, uh, this is based on, on what you're saying. It's almost as if, in ha- in featuring that yes you are sort of putting us in the same mindset as the characters but maybe to uh, to too much of a degree where the yeah. filmmaker himself is like yeah pretty great huh I- exactly. that's a lot of breasts exactly whole bunch of breasts what do their faces look like who gives a shit <laughs> exactly <laughs> um yeah exactly but but you're right david i should i should have specified that it's because of the, what that was being used for you're you're absolutely right because okay. there's actually a very similar sequence there, <laughs> oh good god uh there's actually a very similar sequence in autofocus which i know is i don't think it's a perfect movie there's a lot of things that i think yeah. so so about it but in that i mean it's faceless mm-hmm. breasts they're not faces on breasts but you know you just see you just see uh uh, and that goes back to freaks now, but um, you just see, you know, bare breasts as uh, Bob Crane is talking about the various types that he likes, mm-hmm. which is, as it turns, spoilers, all is all of them. Um, and so, but the idea there is very much to put you in the mindset of this guy who does not care right. and is like, yeah. And by the way, look how his life has gone by not seeing people as people, right? And seeing them only as. Selfish utilization, by the way. Yeah, is which is he... why it's like what you said earlier. It sort of is like they want in in Wedding Crashers. They do like that's really th- one of the only scenes I have a problem with. It's mm-hmm. the only one of the only ones that bugs me because it seems like they want us to almost get on board with these characters that they're about to tell us are wrong, mm. but it's still trying to get us on board for that moment and think that it's cool. 
and I feel like maybe that is whether it be sex or violence or or you know like racism or class stuff like I think maybe that is the most frustrating thing is there's with a certain type of exploitation I think you get a certain two-faced quality a sort of uh, wanting to have your cake and eat it too sort of thing mm-hmm. where it's like oh no no these are bad guys those breasts are pretty good though right <laughs> yeah and it really like it's it's try, it's using like it it almost like the condemnation is almost perfunctory of these characters attitudes the re- maybe the real attitude not not the real attitude they could actually the filmmaker who knows could actually not like mm-hmm. uh the characters in wedding crashers but um but the sheer joy with which he shows the breasts and of course the characters themselves feel joy so yeah. it makes sense but you also and again this goes back to like i haven't listened to the commentary of wedding crashers but like you were made uncomfortable by what you thought the attitude was and there's just a certain way that you can convey like uh i think the filmmaker might actually be way more on board with these guys than than not yeah and it's it's worth it's, saying and it sort of probably goes without saying like sort of like our disagreement about hostile like uh-huh. this is like whether something is exploitative or not can be largely subjective like it's mm-hmm. it's really hard and it's too fine of a line to be like this is absolutely and but for for everybody i think michael bay is a pretty nice case for the absolute but but aside from that like it's it is sort of hard to say in some of these other cases what exactly is exploitative and whether or not it maybe it just is exploitative to me maybe a lot of other people have no mm-hmm. problem with that in wedding crashers and a lot of times people have problems with content that is in movies but is in there with a purpose and you know and it's interesting because i guess i am ta- i'm talking about freaks now uh as much as i love freaks and much as i think there's an actual genuine love by director todd browning for these people who you know these you know oddities and and such i don't like using the word freaks but it's the title of the film um and that he has he treats them as real characters and then the humans are the ugly ones Mm -hmm. and you know when you watch the movie you really like man this is amazing but there are some people like that movie's pure exploitation and i can't necessarily disagree Mm -hmm. because like well he is using a certain degree of he is exploiting human curiosity to get them in the theater now of course while they're in there like a funny games or you know david as you said hostile while they're in there it's like yeah by the way that instinct that you had that brought you in here is pretty ugly way uglier than this guy with no arms and legs um and incidentally he can roll and light a cigarette can you do that i didn't think so um just with your mouth and so um (laughs) by the way i to further come on a hostile i i don't think that you is saying that the bloodlust that people feel is ugly i don't think he's condemning it he's just exploring it from different angles i think he thinks it's awesome too and uh, probably but he uses it to good effect i wish in I my opinion s- I, I don't I, I didn't think i'd ever say this i wish i'd seen hostile <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, because even if it even if i wind up agreeing with you like man it sounds unpleasant oh yeah but um but yeah and so it is very subjective like i can look at freaks and say well the ex the little bit of exploitation that is there he uses to such a good effect mm-hmm. that maybe that cancels out the ex- the exploitation. Maybe it isn't that anymore. Maybe it's yeah. something else. But someone could be like, he's still putting freaks in a movie, and he knows that's going to draw people in. Mm-hmm. That's exploitation. 
And so, like, it's one movie in two yeah, different and, interpretations. Yeah. yeah, and that, yeah, very much so. I don't, and and in, in that example, do you think, I don't think that is exploitation because he, he does have, he does care about those characters. Mm-hmm. But and he's but making that, a comment yeah. on it, on expectations. Right. I don't think that's exploitative. I think that's smart. But it is ex- it's it's exploiting the audience. I think it is exploiting a negative instinct that they have mm. in order to get them in, and then and then not not even necessarily lecturing them, but just showing them characters that are mm-hmm. f- that are fully developed and you love. Um, but I think there is a little bit there. Um, I think that his intentions and the eventual execution of the film cancels that out. Yeah. But I know that there are some people that really, even even now, are really upset with mm-hmm. his very decision to make that film. Yeah. Can you think, is there another movie that maybe has, uh, instead of people with deformities or whatever, but naked people the entire movie that it turns out are characters? Yeah. Uh, you know, where it's not just there to for you to gawk at or be titillated by. I'm trying to think of an example. Maybe Marissa Tomei and the Wrestler. Um, but I don't. I still don't know if that's why people went to see the movie. Right. No. That yeah. uses, we all wanted to see Mickey Rourke naked. Right. It's something that uses <laughs> and nudity do. and sex to get people into the theater, and then explores the nude people as characters. Unfaithful. I think yeah. unfaithful okay. is one. No. And that's the thing is like that is a film. I, you know, for reasons that uh, you can go to more than one lesson and, li- uh, you know, you can hear about my reasons there. I I actually try to avoid movies with a whole lot of sex and nudity and, like, uh, eroticism. But I did see Unfaithful because I had heard that there's some really great acting, and there certainly is. But there actually is eroticism in there. Like, it yeah. is it is very much that. And I think a lot of people went in... And I don't mean to say this in some kind of straw man, straw man attitude, saying like condemning these people that may or may not exist. But I think <laughs> people went in thinking like Diane Lane's pretty attractive, this Frenchman's pretty attractive. I can't remember his name either. Oliver, Oliver Martinez, yeah, which is strange. That um, last name is not French. And wasn't he in uh, SWAT? He was. Yes. Well, yeah, he was. Twelve but, million, you know, two million dollars, whatever the hell oh, he says. Right. Um, but, but yeah, and so like I think. It brings people in, and it does deliver, but it also says, like, all three of these characters, specifically the two that you will see, you know, engaging in these acts, that are they that are themselves very erotic, but the characters are three-dimensional, and they're real people. Well, let me throw this out there about Unfaithful, just to see if you or maybe the listeners in the comments section on the blog uh, pick up on, uh, you know, want to have this conversation with me. Is Unfaithful less, Unfaithful less exploitative in its use of sex because... It is meant to be erotic and arousing and titillating to all people, men and women. Uh, you know, I feel like a movie, a movie like a, t- a terrible, horrible movie like Revenge of the Nerds, and I don't want to hear anybody. <laughs> I don't want to hear anybody defend this movie. I feel like there are David. Some people, I am so tired of hear, hearing you compare Unfaithful and Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> I feel like there are some people my age, maybe a little bit older, who like love Revenge of the Nerds because they were nerds and they saw it when they were younger. But it's like seriously, that you can't. The movie is morally bankrupt you mm. cannot defend revenge and the nerds it's Porky's is another example movie. uh porky's i haven't seen um but like these kind of movies are clearly aimed at to get aimed to get men in the theater mm-hmm. yeah Where, whereas unfaithful has yeah a sexy you know naked diane lane. is she naked in the movie i can't even remember. oh i think so yeah uh, yeah i yeah. think she is um diane lane but it also has this story that's very steamy and sort of like romance mm. novel ish i guess mm-hmm. um 
is it less exploitative because it's appealing to both genders? I don't think so. I think it's less exploitative because it's organic. And because it's a real story about real characters yeah. and yeah. themes. Okay. Like it, it doesn't matter. Because like, you can be equal, equal opportunity exploitative. Like uh-huh. You can exploit everybody's negative instincts. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like even if, even if it wasn't Diane Lane... Or, I mean, of course, this would be... Because the main character is a woman, um, I think that that inherently might make women more interested. And it is kind of... It does kind of have a... What would, would you say? A certain the story is a bit uh, steamy, steamy, yeah. but it has sort of a paperback romance right. quality to right. it. Um, except like a real, it takes kind of a silly story uh-huh. and makes it very real. But yes, I think I think it would have appeal to women. But even if it didn't, and it was still treated the same way, I think I think uh, it wouldn't be exploitative because it I think finds it's Ad- Adrian Lyne's best film or maybe is it, is it Lynn I always want to say Lynn Lynn is what I, I know, a lot of people really like Jacob's Ladder and I really do too it's a very good movie but I think Unfaithful is a better movie did he do um, I'm sorry Nine and a Half Weeks oh yeah horrible F- uh, Fatal Attraction yeah okay which I, I didn't see it's not good okay not a good movie but uh, I want to talk about one more movie because okay. we gotta wrap up soon okay but um, and I don't think either of you have seen it it's a movie it's a I think 2007 Czechoslovakian film called I Served the King of England. Oh, I've heard not, of it, yeah. is it. Is it called Czechoslovakia? Is it the Czech Republic? It's a Czech film. I don't know things. I'm not very smart <laughs> at all. Um, I just watch movies. And uh, <laughs> I Served the King of England is just, there's lots and lots of naked women in it. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're not really characters. They're symbols for the lead character. Mm-hmm. And But they are photographed and treated as objects of beauty more so than objects of lust because mm-hmm. the sort of the theme of the movie is that this guy grows up poor and then unapologetically uses everything in his every uh, every arrow in his quiver to for the rest of his life have money to eat well to drink a lot and to have sex with lots of beautiful voluptuous sometimes even zaftig women that you see naked and they're shot just the way that the beautiful dessert trays are shot mm-hmm. uh and so it's a th- there's something that i can see certainly you jason uh objecting to that these women who are human beings mm-hmm. are treated the same way as objects that you're supposed to consume but at, not if there's a comment on it but I that's mean, not what i'm saying because it's thematically consistent yeah is that okay yeah I think yeah, I think so, and I and this actually goes back to um, you know n- not to put too much uh, you know not to comment too much on it, but the script that you're writing and you know and it involves you know some sexual stuff that you really never thought you would put in there, and you ran it by like you know some friends of ours and and they were just they were you mean members of the mafia, that's right. <laughs> Which is the one where, like, if they're friends of mine or friends of ours... Friends of mine means you vouch for them. Okay. But friends of ours mean they're... Friend, friend of mine is connected. Friend of ours is made. Oh, okay. Okay, got uh, it. Thank you. It's been a while since I've seen Donnie that Brasco. Sense. That's that's what it's from. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it's true. I, it's true it's in the world be, of Donnie Brasco. It's got to be true. It was in a movie. That's Pac- based on a true story, no, no less. Pacino doesn't lie, is my point. Okay. Except in... Uh, <laughs> Jack and Jill, I have to assume, because he's wearing that fake beard. Is this another trailer that I haven't watched? Even that's true. (laughs) 
Uh, yes, that is a trailer. Have you heard okay. anything about Jack and Jill? I know that it's Adam Sandler playing two characters. Uh, Jack and a Jill. That's all I know. I don't want to know anything else. Let's I don't talk think about the topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, you know, but you, you know, you talk to uh, some friends of ours, and uh, and they actually were uh, a little put off by even the idea of you incorporating yeah. these things. But you know, when you when you explained it to me, it was completely organic. You were commenting on it. It was. I, I didn't think there was even a hint of exploitation, even though. In theory, you're writing this for a company that is completely exploitative. Yeah. Well, and and the thing is, one of the characters in the sex scene is exploiting one of the other is exploiting the mm-hmm. other person, and so I started thinking about, well, how am I going to do it to where he is still exploiting her, but the movie is not yeah. exploitative. Like yeah. it, it has to be both. And here's the thing. Uh, even if I write it and it's not exploitative, I could still fuck up while I shoot it. Absolutely. And unintentionally make it exploitative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is like a fine line. It's like it, it really has to, you really have to be careful with how are you shooting it? What, I mean, I, I mean, like even in terms of like, are you really focused on like, is he like really pleasing her? And it's supposed to be about, you know, like how great of a lover he is or, you know, all of those things. Like you have to really make sure those are lining up. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, otherwise you're going to, it's not going to be what it should be. Well, as much as I hate to give Jason the last word on on our podcast, I think that's a pretty good summation of how to do it right. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were trying to keep it in an hour. It's been an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, my God. So let's, uh, I, bl- I blame Hostel. And I haven't even brought up Irreversible. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have anything on your list that you just want to mention that well, we don't have to go into? Well, I was just going to briefly talk about, and, and I'm, I'm reluctant to actually go into too much detail because, of course, the three of us are men. And so while all three of us, I, I think all three of us would agree that rape is a terrible thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't want to talk too much about it because I I don't want to make it seem like it's something I have any experience with. Um, But like movies like Irreversible, I know that a lot of people and uh, what's the other Hound Dog, which uh, Dakota I didn't see it either. But Dakota Fanning, like there was like an you know last house on the left. Yeah, yeah. And Uh, so there's one. uh, I spit on your grave. I think because I was looking up all of these and I haven't seen any of these, but there Mm -hmm. is. A lot of movies, especially in the like torture porn genre, well, of, th- like, our um, friend Josh Fadum works or worked at Cinephile Video, which has a subsection that's just called rape revenge movies. <laughs> yeah, at, at their yeah. store. Yeah, there's. T- I mean, there's tons of these things. Yeah, and so, but the big one that I want to talk about is Irreversible, which I haven't seen. Oh, but okay. you have. Yeah, and I know that a lot of people. I mean, that's what is it? Eleven minutes? Nine. Nine minutes. It's okay. a mere nine minutes. Okay. Whew. You don't uh, even feel it. A mere nine-minute unbroken take of a rape scene. Good yeah. lord! And just like, oh man! And I haven't really seen a lot of rape scenes. Like that one in The Sopranos kills uh-huh. me. Like that one's, which by which I mean I'm laughing hysterically. <laughs> but um, but like you know, a lot of people said that that scene in Irreversible was com- completely exploitative. You could, quite literally, like you could have cut it in half and you still have a four and a half minute scene. What what was your attitude about it? I, it's the centerpiece of the film. You don't have mm-hmm. a movie without that. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that it was necessary. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. could the centerpiece have been seven minutes? Like, would it have been as effective if it were seven I, minutes? 
you know, you talked about, you mentioned Roger Ebert earlier. Um, there's one thing that he's, I disagree with him a lot in, mm-hmm. in terms of opinions, but he has yeah. he said before that you review, you review the movie you saw, not the movie you wish you saw. Okay. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to be play like yeah. armchair editor. Okay. And so it's, I, I, I know what happened. It was a nine minute rape scene and it works for the movie. Okay. And opinion. so at no, at no point did you think, and I don't have an opinion because I've not seen the film, but also what I know about it is that it is the event that the film is built around. And so you really need to engender certain feelings in mm-hmm. your audience. Mm-hmm. And that's, this will do it, certainly. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, uh, I don't want to make it sound like I'm being like, David, what do you think? <laughs> uh, that's not the right answer, Bex. So right. um, I just wanted to bring that up briefly. Anybody else want to mention a movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I got a couple. About it? Uh, the Life of David Gale. Okay. The We've Saw franchise. The Boondock Saints. Uh, <laughs> Southland Tales. The uh, Boondock Saints is. Uh, it's guess, almost too dumb to be exploitative. But it's uh, I just like if there's black exploitation, Boondock Saints is like Catholic exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like as the only uh, Catholic here at the table, I can say that it definitely yeah. is aimed at See, certain I th- things. I think Boondock Saints. I think it does actually exploit something in the audience that exploits their desire to see Pulp Fiction, but it's rented. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it would be interesting to talk about some of which we don't have to, but like uh, you, you look at the newer Texas Chainsaw Massacre from two thousand three, no, won't versus <laughs> the older Texas Chainsaw Massacre from seventy four. One of them makes you much more uncomfortable, and it's not the one that's exploitative, which is huh. which is very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, let's see. Then uh, emotionally exploitative movies. Uh, I thought, and I don't even agree with these, but some that I think a lot of people feel movies like shortcuts or nashville uh closer a lot of people don't like um, i don't like any movie any of those three movies so uh, you're a jerk nashville's awesome (laughs) about schmidt sideways a lot of people feel like those are those those are misery porn uh (laughs) straw dogs uh, misery they're both fucking hilarious movies i agree i'm saying these are these these are not movies i think are but like ridiculous um i thought about the king Oh yeah, yeah. I so thought I, about Natural Born is, Killers, Requiem I, for a Dream, Fight Club, and more. I, I guess this uh, this ties in does tie in because this is a chip on my shoulder. Okay, when people talk about things like misery porn or uh, torture they, porn they or whatever, like, I hate that. It is, uh, and and I feel like I can't quite describe my hatred for it, but it seems like it's well, it's dismissive uh, and reductive. I think, and it's also. And this is going to sound weird. It's dismissive of pornography at the same time. Like, that took a turn. I wasn't expecting <laughs> you to go in that direction. Also, basically it, anything by John Waters. No. <laughs> it's a, but th- th- these things, these whatever porn are just, yeah. uh, it, it's a shorthand for someone who doesn't actually want to think about why they don't like a thing. And it's sort of like I talked about Mumblecore is a made up genre that because people couldn't fit these movies together so they made up a thing to put a basket to put them all in mm-hmm. but d- pornography this maybe is a discussion we should have someone on someday because pornography is cinema in a way we have someone on someday to do an entire episode of pornography because even if the majority i'll of, get on the of, research now of pornography that exists is uh despicable and um what's the, what's what i'm looking for objectifying mm-hmm. and uh, degrading, degrading, degrading. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Even if most of it is, does that? I, I don't think pornography, by definition, necessarily is. And so I, I, I don't like this 
this cheap shorthand for I don't like this thing. Well, I do think it's just. Or I, but because I, I think what it's really saying. Sorry to keep interrupting. Okay. I think what it's really saying is I do like this thing, but I don't like that I like this thing, and that's why they're comparing it to porn. Almost a guilty, like a, like a guilty gu- pleasure. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I so because a lot of people who use those terms are dismissing the movie outright. Out, out loud, they are. But I'm saying these are people who want to see uh, the Saw movies, but don't like that they want to see the Saw movies. Almost as if someone were to say were to see Sucker Punch. I know a lot of people saw Sucker Punch because they're like, look, I know it's not going to be good, but man, that is just, I don't know what type of porn that would fall under. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just porn. Porn porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and so like something where they see it maybe with a certain degree of irony and they dismiss it as this certain thing, but in saying it, it's that, they're also acknowledging that like, yes, but people enjoy porn and I'm no different. I'm not saying there's any artistic merit to it. But and this is just a certain genre of that. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, here's the thing. I you think know, you guys are lumping in people who you're accusing of lumping in movies. <laughs> I think that's what's happening right <laughs> now. I happening, completely yeah. disagree. Yeah. Um, this episode's just lumping in porn. That's a pretty good. We all laughed. Let's end on that. You can find us at battleshipretention.com or on iTunes. You can email us, David at battleshipretention.com, Tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash more lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. Jason, where can people find you? Experts in Intermediates, Dodd, <laughs> Potomatic. <laughs> Dots <I>, completed. <laughs> Hashtag finished. And if you go to the if you go to the Abandoned. the website, there'll just be a big thing that says, I'm sorry, we have finished the podcast. You can no longer listen to it. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, at Eakin, E-A-K-E-N, and I do a blog occasionally uh, uh, called Eakin Writes, E-A-K-E-N. W R I T E S. Yes, Egan writes. Right. The verb. Yeah. Not, it's not about the rights. It's not. That you uh, have. It's not about the rights that, right. or that I presume. Right. And of course, uh, you can actually hear him on the most recent episode of More Than One Lesson. Uh, he comes on and we talk about the Prestige. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend and, it though. Well, that's <laughs> the Prestige or the episode. Yeah. Across the board. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> we also talk about Barton Fink. Yeah. No, I listen to it. I listened to the second half. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and incidentally, uh, of course, uh, new reviews up, uh, you know, almost every day of yeah. something. And so we would love to hear your feedback. Go ahead and Please comment. Do. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah, if you're still listening and you live in Los Angeles, uh, September 3rd, Saturday, September 3rd is the next uh, live show. All right. We don't That's have any guests up. to we announce have, yeah. yet. Um but it'll it'll be a blast. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be ten bucks. It's at Meltdown Comics, um, seventy five twenty two cents at Boulevard. Tyler and I will be there. What else do you need? Yeah, uh, Jason, Jason will be there. Yeah, yeah. All right. So if you know if you, I'm guessing if you're still listening at the two hour mark here, then you like what we have to offer. <laughs> so the three of us will be there, and you'll get more of this plus some comedy. Yeah. Uh, 
can I, can I just say, hours, I really sorry. appreciate, I love being on the show, oh. even even with my dismissal of your formalist uh, treasure trove, <laughs> Hostel. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy coming on the show. It so is the height for, of formalism, as we all know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you for having me. Oh, Absolutely. thank you for doing it. Um, all right. It made me feel uncomfortable and awkward. Um, not a, I'm that's all right, David. I'll take it from here. David, I'm I love you. This sort of display of emotion on the Can podcast. I hug you? He's not, oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. You might as well uh, roll around with him on the floor. Yeah. You know what I mean? David, will you hold me? <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.